I'll just zoom in here. <clears throat> All right, guys. Well, welcome to the first Fitness and Philosophy podcast. Uh, my name is Robbie Gustin, and, and I'm joined by OPEX founder James Fitzgerald. Uh, in this podcast, we're going to be discussing the intersection between philosophy and fit fitness. There's lots of really cool and interesting topics and questions to be discussed. Um, the main question we're going to be trying to answer today is what is fitness? But before we get to that, uh, there are three main things I wanted us to do. So James and I are just going to briefly introduce ourselves. Uh, then I'm just going to lay some basic groundwork around what philosophy is because not everyone knows. Not everyone's taken a philosophy class. It's not like history or economics that, you know, most people took in high school, right? Mm -hmm. uh, and then talking a bit about philosophical methodology, like how does philosophy proceed? How is it different from uh, science, for example, or math or religion? How, how, do, how does it proceed in terms of what it's trying to do? So I guess the first thing is let's just uh, introduce ourselves. So James, if you want to go first and tell everyone about, a bit about you. Yeah, uh, I'm James Fitzgerald, uh, founder of OPEX Fitness. Um, and I'm, curi I'm a curious person. At heart, I think that's what makes uh, me enjoy the concept of fitness. Uh, there's so many things inside of it we uh, we still have to learn and and know about. Um, I dig in each day, probably inside of behaviors and exercise and nutrition as a whole. Um, and that's that's uh, I'm a practitioner of it, and I have been doing it for uh, for uh, over 25 years now. So uh, that's where I sit on it, uh, and I'm hoping to offer probably a uh, an in the trenches perspective you know of how to organize people's thoughts around this whole concept of fitness um, and i look forward to doing that with you robbie i couldn't help but mention couldn't help but uh hear you uh, uh we already have our first hashtag fip fitness in philosophy uh so uh <laughs> the fip have you have you heard the fip that's our uh, starting uh hashtag we're gonna uh throw out there um, also, you almost said fitness, which which is a uh, um, a huge blip. But hey, man, if you want to roll with that, I'm cool with it. Not that we haven't thought of that before, um, but that would seem like a, a god complex inside of fitness that we probably want to get to episode 86 before we discuss that. Um, and lastly, before I hand it over to you for your introduction, um, I think we probably want to table for another time. Um, and it's beautiful because you know, these discussions are supposed to lead to further ideas, right, of thought, is uh, how you are going to open up with discussing philosophy in regards to fitness and philosophy in itself as a learning. Um, I think we uh, take for granted how much other areas are involved inside of fitness that we really don't know about, um, like economy and, um, and cognitive, cognitive function. And uh, Lord knows we certainly don't know a lot about uh, behaviors and psychology uh, inside of fitness. We try. Um, but anyways, I'm, I'm excited that you're going to be able to offer um, a really strong branch uh, that I think is, uh, hasn't been touched before in fitness. Yeah, thanks. I'm super excited to discuss with you, too. I think with the uh, fitness and philosophy, we can TM that, right? <laughs> okay. <laughs> if I wasn't on the show, then maybe it would work. But uh, that, uh, it'll be a little inside joke. Yeah. Um, so yeah, my name is uh, Robbie Gustin. Um, just a little bit about me. Uh, I did my PhD in philosophy at the University of Notre Dame. Um, and I've always been interested in, you know, just like James was saying, just a generally curious person. I think one of the things I loved most about philosophy 
was, you know, its connection to art and science and math and uh, religion. And it's just, you know, asking these deeper questions about all these broad disciplines. And that's also what interested me in, in fitness and kind of uh, functional fitness as it, as it came to be known in the past decade, you know, uh, strongman, Olympic weightlifting, uh, powerlifting, sprinting, running, and then, you know, nutrition is a huge interest of mine. That's kind of my, my, one of my main passions and, you know, hormones and digestion and all, all these different disciplines. So I'm, I'm really, you know, as you were saying, I'm just really interested in the interconnections between all these different things. Um, so, uh, yeah, while I was getting, uh, while I was doing my grad work, I, I started being a part-time coach over here at, uh, CrossFit South Bend and, when I graduated, decided to make a bit of a career shift, but still uh, very much love philosophy and I'm still very interested in it and I'm excited to uh, explore the connections that I've thought have existed for a while, but um, I think now we're really gonna have an opportunity to flesh out and obviously be able to discuss with you. I think it's gonna be awesome. Can you uh, give me a, give the, our audience a really clear definition? And I apologize for putting you on the spot to do that, but a really clear definition, even if it's a Wikipedia poll, uh, for what philosophy is? Uh, great question. So uh, there's a ton of different things, you, <laughs> a ton of different ways you could go there. You know, there's kind of the joke answer. That's how the philosopher answers the question, Robbie. <laughs> <laughs> you know, there's the joke answer, uh, mental masturbation. Um, That's okay. Hashtag, we just got another tag. Yeah, I got another hashtag there. That raises um, followers tremendously, by the way. <laughs> right, they're going to be like, what the hell is that? <laughs> Um, yeah, so I mean, there, there are a couple different definitions that I would always mention to my students. So one is a famous one from Wolf, Wilfred Sellers that I think we'll explore more in, in, in other podcasts, which is philosophy is the study of how things in the broadest sense of the term hang together in the broadest sense of the term. Um, <laughs> so you might hear that and think, oh my God, that's just so general. Well, that's fantastic. Uh, that. But it's, it's, you know. The other way to, to, to describe it that I think is gonna be really relevant to the question we're discussing today, the what is fitness question is, philosophy, it's not that other disciplines don't ask meta questions, they, they can, but philosophy is the consummate meta discipline or meta question discipline. Yes. It's the discipline that asks questions about subjects, deep, fundamental, what is the nature of this thing questions. Mm -hmm. um, you know, for example, so, art and science and math and religion and, and politics all have questions within their realms that um, involve certain implicit assumptions about things. Mm -hmm. uh, and those are all interesting questions, but philosophy then jumps in and kind of this third party outside perspective, looking over and saying, Hey, what's this all about? Yeah. You know, there's this implicit yeah. assumption there that you're adopting and you think is right, but it's actually messing up the whole system. Yeah. Yeah. So, so that's fantastic. Um, um, I'll, I'll stop it there because I'm just trying to think of at a listener level, that's something that immediately I have a concept of now, but my first thought is, um, and this probably could be the time for it. I, I'd offer uh, your suggestion on this is it's, there's not like, for example, um, yeah, uh, that's very hard for people to even comprehend today uh what you're asking and what the whether we like it or not the, de 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 the definition of it especially in the context of fitness 
what would you say to all those people that be like, so we're not going to get any answers really? Um, and uh, how could you lay them down a little softer in terms of maybe some of the systems of philosophy that you have, you know, been through and in the trenches to go, no, you know, it seems nihilistic that you're just asking questions and nothing goes on. But uh, would you offer that it does lead to some, uh, some good things down the road? Do you see where I'm going with, uh, with that question to kind of help people? Out? So, yeah. So, yeah. So I think I've, I, there are two things I would say there. So one is, yeah. So this is a, a, a common question that a lot of my students would ask me when I, when I was teaching, you know, does philosophy just ask questions? Do we ever get answers? The answer is yes, we do get some answers, some really powerful and important answers. Mm -hmm. um, but sometimes the question itself is really, really important. Like, so just to take a, a paradigm example from, uh, I guess, philosophy of physics or historical, historical philosophy of physics, you know, when you're, when you're working within the realm of, you know, the Aristotelian uh, view of how things move, the, the question when you, when you threw something was, um, why does it stop? So, you know, that, that was, you know, one of the central questions within Aristotelian, um, you know, looking at the, the way of the world, like why, why does this thing move the way uh, it does? And then Descartes and Newton come along and they ask, well, why doesn't it just keep going? So that, that's not something you can, you can get insight into asking that question from doing experiments, but it's, it's a different way of looking at things that comes from actually, you know, deeper fundamental questions. Another one would be, you know, Einstein's musings on like the nature of space and time. Like there are experiments that we subsequently did to confirm what he eventually developed, but the inception of all that was questions about the nature of, of this thing. And if that's a little too abstract in terms no. of the sciencey side of things, I actually have a few examples from disciplines that might help people get a bit more concrete. Okay, well, I, I ask us to table that uh, some discipline examples throughout and, you know, I'll promise everyone as well that, uh, we certainly will get to a point where we can collaborate on those musings that allow us to directly contribute to the practice of science. So taking the artist questioning and moving it into some actual truths, you know, um, like those previous examples you had mentioned, right? So we did get some really positive things from the musings of those, um, you know, unbelievable brain minds, you know, uh, in our past. So. Yeah, no, I think that was eloquently stated. Thank you. Yeah, and then I mean, morality, art, politics. I mean, a, a lot of, I mean, a lot of the way, you know, representative democracies work today come from philosophers. Mm -hmm. uh, yeah. So things like that and the yeah. notion of fundamental rights and things like that. So yeah, there's definitely stuff that, um, although there were, you're absolutely right, there can be a ton of questions, maybe some unanswered questions, but um, those questions lend themselves to you know, opening up whole new fields of things that we just didn't even think about before, which then can lend themselves to even new answers that we didn't even, you know, conceive of before. Yeah, yeah, excellent. So going back to um, this idea of philosophy as the meta discipline, you know, there are lots of different examples of this. So philosophy of religion, philosophy mm -hmm. of math, philosophy of science, philosophy of art, or, which is sometimes called aesthetics or political philosophy. And I just have a couple of examples here that might help people get a sense of like, how does philosophy differ from politics? How does philosophy differ from religion and the questions that it asks? Yes. Yeah. 
So take political philosophy, for example. So if someone studies that, one of the most famous questions, you know, goes all the way back to Plato's Republic, what is justice, um, right? Um, what's the best form of government? That was another famous one from Plato's Republic. Um, what's the most fundamental value of uh, a modern democracy, liberty or equality? We think, oh, liberty, yay, good, awesome, right? Equality, yay, good, awesome. But their intention in a lot of different ways, uh, not always, not everywhere, but there are tensions there. Uh, something that we're living through right now, uh, in a modern democracy, should we curtail liberty for the purpose of ensuring security? Mm -hmm. You know, that's a famous one, whether it's discussions about the TSA or fundamental privacy. Obviously, right now, with, you know, as of the time of this recording, we're going through the uh, coronavirus. Yeah. Um, but while politics and politicians ask concrete questions in the moment about what it is we should be doing with relation to this specific instance, mm -hmm. Philosophers try to ask these deeper and more fundamental questions about what is the relationship between these fundamental ideas um, and how should one, um, you know, apply them in governance or life or what have you. So, yes. Yeah. You almost need to have, um, I'm just thinking, you almost need to have two, two forms of tension or, or a dyadic atmosphere that you could like go back and forth on as a, uh, in order to really drum up some truths inside of what you're looking at there. So let's just take fitness, right? We, you probably want to have, as an example, some ideas on one side, like you use, excuse me, I think it was equality and liberty. Those, as hard as it is, those are beautiful things to look on either side of in order to come up with a good answer. Uh, that, that, that's what I pulled from that. Would, I, would that statement be fair in terms of like trying to dig into something? You probably have to have some dyadic tension of seeing both sides in order to come up with some truths in it? Oh yeah, definitely. Definitely. I mean, the, precisely the, the questions or precisely a lot of the questions that we get in philosophy come from, you know, we have, you know, such and such assumption that we want to keep, we want to hold on to. We're conscious. We have free will, for example. And then, oh, science seems to say, well, uh, you know, what about that? I don't right. know if that's true. Right. So right. philosophy is the interplay of how do we fit those two together? How do we, hold on to both and can we hold on to both and what do we have to give up? Yeah. Yeah. Are there classifications that are easier terminology of the two things that we're discussing? Is it as simple as science and art being the two sides? Um, that's a good question. I mean, it, it, it depends on the, you know, particular, um, discussion you're having in philosophy. So you were asking before, like, what's, what are some definitions of philosophy? That would be another, sense of philosophy philosophy especially today is kind of the gap or the bridge that tries to connect our intuitive conceptions of ourselves as capable of consciousness free will emotions you know religious belief things like that and you know a lot of things that we would typically call subjective although yep. you know yeah. not in a pejorative sense but just a descriptive <laughs> sense yep um, and then the scientific worldview, which is, you know, there are debates here, but deterministic, yeah. uh, you, you know, part of your brain has made the decision before you're conscious of it. Yeah. Uh, emotion is just brain, you know, love is just brain chemistry. So one conception of philosophy is trying to resolve that tension between what we, our subjective conception of ourselves as humans mm -hmm. and what most current up-to-date science seems to say about who we are. Yes. So that's, that's another conception of philosophy. 
yeah, awesome. Thank you. <clears throat> that was just that just helped me think about it in a different way that may not be a an awesome template, but maybe someone else has picked up on it that could help them. No, I think that's a really good question. Um, so another way to kind of help people grasp this, so we just talked about political philosophy, take philosophy of science. This will help hopefully people get a sense of what's going on here with how philosophy proceeds. So philosophy of science asks questions like, what differentiates science from non-science? Science from pseudoscience. What makes science unique? You know, a lot of people think science is one of the most successful human endeavors that we've ever, you know, embarked upon. It's true in a lot of ways, but what are the limitations of science? What can it tell us and what can't it? Mm -hmm. um, is science the most reliable type of knowledge available or are there others? Are there ones that even supersede science? Is that methodology of hypothesis, experimentation, you know, is that the only way of going about finding out things in the world? Are there other ways of going about finding things in the world? Scientists don't usually ask that question. You know, maybe they'll ponder it. Maybe there are, you know, there are philosopher scientists, of course, like Einstein and Newton who kind of bridge the gap. But usually scientists are operating within science and asking questions within science. And then the philosopher comes along and asks, well, is that the way you should be operating? Mm -hmm. Are these implicit assumptions the right one? Mm -hmm. um, another mm -hmm. example would be, is science a fundamentally rational and objective endeavor? We tend to portray it that way. Um, or is it like all human endeavors where it's subject to things like prejudice and bias? You know? Um, yeah, under the truest definition of scientific process, you know, from the, I would say from only my knowledge, 1600, 1700 onward, I, mean, I think it always had that idea that we're, we're looking to discover things inside of this process, which essentially sounds like we don't have the answers, but that's what the scientific process is, is the practice of trying to find some truths in it. That's what, yeah. so my, you know, language, you know, cause I just need your kind of reaction to the scientific process of what I was taught or like what I like truly believed in. I know that sounds weird in the same sentence, but it was the fact that we're going after searching for something, but we're not trying to find the truth. It's the process of trying to find answers to questions. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And I mean that, you know, sometimes when people will bring that up, they're like, well, science constantly is revising itself and you know does that mean it's a futile endeavor it's like no that's that's the point we're trying to get better at what we're doing here so yeah i completely agree with that and just to connect it back to fitness for here for a second some of the discussions you know we've had through through the opex course i think you brought up a really interesting philosophical point when you're talking about how you know a lot of the studies that have been done on you know exercise are related to performance or disease. That's a philosophical point, in my opinion, and a, a very good one because, you know, you could look at all these science and, uh, these studies and say, well, yeah, they've got these great conclusions. The studies were set up the way they should be. Yes, but how, you know, what end were they looking for, right? They were looking for performance in these high-performing athletes, or they were looking for reduction in disease states and people with diseases. Um, it doesn't mean that the, the, study conclusions aren't relevant, you know, to other contexts, but that's an important point to keep in mind, right? If someone says, oh, well, the science shows this, well, what was the science meant to show? What, what were the aims? And I think something like that is a paradigmatically philosophical point that does lead to concrete, useful things within the realm that we're discussing. Yeah, so, yeah which I'm hoping long-term it leads to some, uh, dare I say, answers as to what our intention should be for the future. Um, I've got two short questions that could lead to longer answers for you. 
First, do you think that uh, uh, really with the informational age and technological improvements that has increased efficiency of the scientific process? So it's actually made it, you know, it hasn't really, like let's argue in 1930, it was kind of balanced out in terms of art and science. And now 2003 upward, because of artificial intelligence and speed, it's like made the scientific process due to the actual fact of like getting data, getting number and like just taking a look at things, it's improved its efficiency or has it made it more crazy because there's, you know what I'm saying? It's like more, there's more information shared of more questions, which actually makes it seem like it is futile in its, in its, uh, in its approach to what it's trying to answer. Am I making sense of that? I think so. Yeah. I mean, I think it's a really good question. I mean, a famous discussion within philosophy of physics for a number of years is like, why were Newton and Einstein so uniquely suited to making the progress that they did? And why haven't we made similar progress in, you know, the hundred or so years since Einstein? One of the main theories proposed is not enough philosophy, not enough, not enough thinking about the right questions. So going back to the point you were just making, yeah, we're really great at generating all this data you know, even where you're ordering, we can have all these AI bots and all the rest of this stuff that generates a lot of good data. But are we asking the right questions about this data? Um, is That's because right? computers don't ask the questions. That's the right. thing. It's a right. human endeavor. But uh, human, the biological, we have biological constraints that don't make us as fast as that human efficiency, you know, seemingly looks like, but it's, it's not. So um, I, 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 I think I just answered my own question and my belief on that because I was kind of stumped on it and thinking, yeah, but there's got to be some really positive insights a la, you know, Pinker mentality of all the positives around asking all these questions and the generation of technology and information sharing. But I would argue you still have biological constraints of thought that you need each human to kind of like slow down the process to get, to get a hold of all that information. Am I making sense? Yeah. Yeah, yeah absolutely. I mean, another example here would be quantum mechanics. Like, we are extraordinarily, incredibly efficient at designing microwaves and, you know, x-ray scanners and all the rest of these things that involve the quantum mechanical equations. But good luck finding anyone who can tell you what's actually going on at, like, an ontological level with quantum mechanics. Like, what is actually transpiring? So we've got a lot of data, but not enough, you know, necessarily good philosophical questions or answers about that data. Yeah. Um, I would push, push people to Eric Weinstein um, and his, uh, his ideas on where that needs to move. He's trying to really push that profession to ask some more tougher philosophical questions on that. If uh, we want to tag uh, that in the conversation, cause he's trying to push he, his argument is that over the past 30 years, it hasn't moved whatsoever. It's just been theories proposed, but it's a, uh, basically just makes doesn't make a lot of sense and so he's proposing they need more philosophical thought on on the practice anyways besides my second my second uh question was in in con in concept because i i think already i'm learning from you that you probably have a really great base of support of what you've seen in philosophy that could help answer these kind of questions so that's why i thought it was it was apropos to ask you it um the concept that you brought up of us asking these questions of, you know, what's the intention of fitness? And my posit that I think it's come from um, uh, an intention of looking at it from a performance or disease state. Um, what's your thoughts on 
just how deep we are for two decades on that being a springboard of intentions. Um, and your <laughs> positive view on uh, turning that around for just you know how deep we are into the, into the process of looking through the lens of uh, performance or, uh, or disease alone. And how do we turn that around to change uh, intentions? I think it's a really good question. I mean, obviously, you know, fitness and exercise. I call it a springboard because it wasn't like we just walked slowly into it. Like, I mean, we jumped head first really hard as soon as, you know, and people have been screaming, everyone's fat for two decades. And that's so thanks. Yeah, no, I mean, I, I think it's a great question. I mean, obviously, fitness and nutrition, as we refer to them today, have been going on for long before we've been discussing the science of these things. I mean, I think one of my, I'd be interested to hear your thoughts too, but one of my main hopes for turning that around, as you put it, is the fact that, you know, the science of fitness and the science of nutrition are relatively new. Mm -hmm. So I think we're going through like our, our birth stages and kind of growing pains and stuff like that and asking some good questions, but also, you know, focusing, like you said, too much on performance. Interesting question, but not relevant to 90 plus percent of people focusing yeah. on disease. Interesting question, but misses a lot of the point. So I think, uh, there's a real, I, I personally have a lot of hope for that turning around. I think it's slow and I think we'd like it to happen faster, but yeah. I, I have a lot of hope for that turning around. Super. Well, let's, uh, let's keep that as a, um, as a lens that we use and, uh, keep that hope alive inside, <laughs> inside this process. Um, cause I, I feel good about that. Looking forward yeah, to I mean, those things and moving. I mean, around. when you think about, you know, I mean, you've, you've alluded to it too, like, you know, there was a time where you were looked at weird for going out and running outside and then running and bodybuilding were the only things and then functional fitness. So it, it's changed. It, it takes time, but it, it changes. Oh, yeah. yeah, yeah, for sure. Good. Alrighty. So uh, what about fitness? Or are we going to, you going to lay some more groundwork for some uh, philosophy context? Well, I'm fine to do either. I've, I've got some stuff I can go into about philosophical methodology, or we can just go right into the what is fitness. It really, it's, it's up to you. What do you, what do you prefer? Yeah, no, let's, uh, I'm, I'm interested in, uh, and you never know, it may, uh, it may be a two-part or three-parter, but uh, the methodology aspect I'm keenly interested in. So let's, uh, let's jam a little bit more there. Okay, cool. So, you know, we talked a little bit about what philosophy is, asking those meta questions. Uh, and then there's the question, how does philosophy proceed? Like religion proceeds in one particular way, science proceeds in another way, art proceeds in another way. So how does philosophy proceed? So there are a few different things that I think are important to note about philosophy. Number one, like we already alluded to, it asks lots and lots and lots of questions. Mm -hmm. um, sometimes we end up more with more questions than answers, but not always. And it's lots of weird questions too, like things that typically people would be like, what is that even about? Like, what is the number four? Mm -hmm. Color red real? Mm -hmm. uh, how, do, how do we know we're not in some simulation? You know, the matrix, inception, um, you know, Westworld, all, all the rest of these things that popular culture has made a bit more concrete for us. Those are all philosophical questions. So we ask both lots and lots of questions. And sometimes what you would think of as weird questions and what, you know, they're weird precisely because as humans, one of the ways we get on and make progress is we take things for granted and then do things within that particular realm. But what philosophy does and sometimes helps us make progress with is it comes in and asks, are those fundamental assumptions right? Like, are we hitting roadblocks precisely because we, were, we had these assumptions and that was blocking us? Um, 
Philosophy of religion, uh, so uh, philosophy also proceeds by making lots of distinctions. So, you know, distinctions between, um, you know, subjective and objective, uh, real and apparent, um, between what we believe and what we know. So a famous one that I can give you here from philosophy of religion is between moral evil and natural evil. So famous philosophy of religion question, um, you know, uh, can God exist given the, the existence of evil? Huge question. We'll uh, avoid going deep too deep into that for right now. That's uh, episode 86, by the way. So you're going to have to stick around right. for six episodes before you get to that one. We'll get to it. We'll get to it, yeah. I'm sure. Um, you know, the, the typical response is, okay, well, free will is intrinsically good and, you know, God doesn't want to interfere with that. So that allows for evil. Well, that allows for moral evil, evil done by humans and conscious agents, but that doesn't, give any account of natural evil, for example. So things like uh, viruses or mm-hmm. cancer or earthquakes mm-hmm. or things like that. So again, not bringing that up to go into that whole debate, but just to show oh, you that those yeah. decisions are useful. Yeah, great. Uh, I love that example. Um, counter arguments and objections. So philosophers, I would say, are the consummate bullshit detectors. Um, if you ever want to test your theory or hypothesis about something, go ask if you can give a philosophy colloquium at a local mm-hmm. department. And you will mm-hmm. get lots of thought out um, objections to your viewpoint. Um, yeah. some, some of my professors used to joke that they would immediately get kicked off juries because the lawyers didn't want them poking holes in their arguments. So that's, that's yeah. kind of what philosophy yeah. does is poking holes in um, arguments. Yeah, my review board for uh, my work that I did with Dr. Bain um, was the same way. There were some people within the current uh, setting and memorial uh, University of Newfoundland uh, physical education department that uh, were specifically there as a philosopher. And at the time I was like in my twenties, I couldn't understand that. <laughs> I couldn't get it to the point of like asking these just to be there to ask questions around what's your whole reason for doing it. And why do you think you think you're going to get some answers to that? You know, they didn't even want to give us, you know, he, he didn't even want to tell me, Oh, you definitely, have discovered uh, rest periods between this kind of maximal voluntary contraction with interplanet twitch technique. Um, and uh, I just couldn't understand that. So I'm just making that point to Robbie so that some people may not actually be able to connect to that. Um, they may not actually be able to understand it. So I don't know if that's a softball for you to kind of open that up a little bit, a little bit more in understanding no. if it's enough that. No, I think that's a really good point. Um, yeah. And please, anytime that happens, like, as I'm sure you've experienced and you know, like any, anytime you're enmeshed or previously, you know, kind of taught a subject to kind of, just like what we're talking about, you have these implicit assumptions and you think these things that you think people readily understand and recognize, but not necessarily yeah. always. So um, yeah, ph- philosophers are just really, you know, sometimes it can be excessive and, you know, not useful. That's, that's certainly true, but philosophers are really good at, asking questions to help you frame what it is you're trying to figure out, like you were saying in that, in that mm. particular context, to help, to help you sharpen things a little bit so you maybe like have that. a better direction to go in. I like that word sharpening and uh, adding some uh, color and adding some refinement to it. Yeah, I like that. And another methodological thing that I think, I've got a concrete example here that will hopefully help people get a sense of what's going on, thinking critically. So lots of you know endeavors, are involved in thinking critically, but philosophy is really involved in that. So we don't just accept things at face value. So a, a famous example from medicine is the Hippocratic Oath. 
mm-hmm. do no harm. Well, that's great. And that sounds awesome. And, you know, a lot of us have an intuitive sense of what harm is, but of course it gets super philosophically interesting when you ask, well, what is harm? Yeah. You've measured harm, yeah. right? Um, are scientific experiments done that, you know, involve compromised populations, you know, is that, is that harm, but at least, you know, all, all these different questions around what constitutes harm. So it's easy to say, do no harm. And that's a great idea, but what does that actually mean? Yes. Yes. Love that idea. Um, and then the last, uh, couple of things, um, philosophy tries to state things as explicitly and clearly as possible. So that's the ideal that doesn't always happen, but I would say that's something we should, you know, strive for when philosophers break down arguments or analyze arguments, they try to say like, which things in what you're saying are facts, which are beliefs, which are, uh, inferences, like what, what's your evidence for what you believe and can you state it clearly or are you purposely saying it in a weird way to, um, uh, make what you're saying more confusing or not amenable to falsification think, things yeah. like that yeah robbie you're gonna have to be the uh the uh the the tree you know that uh holds steady in that regards uh to let's i call it like a security guard or uh or a bullshit detector is a different way of looking at it like you'd said but um you're gonna have to be that person whether you like it or not for uh, our episode and uh and for our audience too and questions that they have to ask because I think uh, by you stating that in terms of methodology and practices of, of what we need to do inside of philosophizing, um, if that's a word, um, then um, I'll need you to be there strong and hard on that one. Because that's, that's a key one, especially if we're going to wrap fitness around this conversation. Yeah, I, I completely agree. And I mean, and vice versa, too. Like, I mean, you know, just like we were just saying, like, if at any point I'm not stating things clearly or if I'm. I'm oh, yeah. Not- no, I'm. Yeah, no, I was I was. Uh, being more along the lines of just showing strengths in, uh, in capability for that. I think you're going to be able to smell it so much, so much easier. So just pointing at that. (laughs) And then the last one I would say here is, you know, there are two ways to characterize this. Um, again, this is the ideal. This is the way it should be. It's not always the case, but it should be let the evidence lead where it may ideally no sacred cows. So this is a big difference between philosophy and a lot of other, uh, endeavors, whether you, you know, talk about religion or science or lots of other things, truth is first and foremost. And if that leads to conclusions that conflict with our intuitive sense of ourselves or beliefs we hold dear, um, so be it. So be it. So be it. So some people may not like that, but that's philosophy. So I like, so be it as opposed to it is what it is. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. So be it. Uh, I like that. Sit with it. Be okay with it. And it is, that is. <clears throat> so that's the methodology stuff. And then um, got some stuff on what is fitness, but I just want to pause there and see any thoughts or questions or. No, I think uh, if anything, it'll probably tie into a bit of our conversation on some questions that you may have. And um, I just thought maybe I'd get your point on how important etymology and language is back to your point of saying, you know, trying to find some inference in what people are talking about. And if you are going to philosophize on something so we don't get to bullshit language that leads to nowhere, um, do you feel that language and, and stating something and us really having a 
you know, a clear definition of words is vitally important um, in that conversation because we are going to get there. I think, you know, and I, I'm not going to preempt our conversation of what I wanted to discuss, but, and I don't want us to go there. I want you to answer the question, but um, like fitness is the word itself needs a serious, a serious discussion because it's used in, you know, 24 different contexts. You know what I'm saying? So I think language itself and a word is very, very important. Would you agree? And, uh, and how can we use that as a base support for all of us as a reminder inside of philosophizing and fitness? Yeah, I completely agree with that. And I think one of the ways that, you know, people so often in everyday life um, are able to make points that don't necessarily hold up is they equivocate about different terms. They use you know, the same term, but in different ways as a way to not necessarily always intentionally confuse, but sometimes. Um, so getting really clear on what it is you mean and what the specific term means makes a huge difference. So again, just another example from discussion around free will. So in free will, you know, the famous questions are, are free will, is free will compatible with determinism? Is it compatible with God's knowledge? Well, there are two senses of freedom. What, what do you mean? One sense of free, free will is the ability to do otherwise, like the ability to you know, take multiple different paths. And one sense of free will means the ability to do what you want. Those two are not the same thing. You could have the ability to do what you want without the ability to do otherwise. So getting super clear on what fitness means and the things around fitness or performance or health, I think is absolutely crucial. Yeah, awesome. Yeah, I love it. Um, and I'm going to, I'm going to, uh, post, uh, um, uh, Yuval Noah Harari's, uh, definition of free will. Um, and he says it, uh, eloquently that make, will make people remember your exact sentence just said in a different way, um, around choices and, in and the, the, I, I call it like a continuum of how you see it. It has scale and it has depth. Um, and you can't just think of it as just a word. It's, it's deeper and broader than you think, you know, and then when you open your eyes to that, you see that it, it actually is not in one bucket or the other. It's like very, very, very broad, you know. But again, to the point, defining that is very important because again, we'll tie it into fitness and and fitness is, you know, in a lens you can imagine, people can see it as one one definition. You know, it's like it's one thing. I'm yeah, absolutely. I mean, a, a funny example that I would used to tell to my students is uh, God is, uh, so God is love, love is blind, Ray Charles is blind, Ray Charles is God. So, I mean, many, many fault, you know, uh, logical faults in that argument, but part, part of the issue that you run into there is like, we're equivocating about blind, we're equivocating about love, we're equivocating about all these different terms without getting uh, clear about what it is that they mean. So you can, you can that's an extreme example. You can make all sorts of faulty inferences. Yeah. With, without you know unless you get clear about what a word means yeah um i'd like to uh propose also just for people to um as a thought experiment and uh, to challenge themselves on this specific topic and i'm only speaking about it because i finished it last night um jay shapiro's film with uh uh majad nawazi and sam harris on uh, islam and, and tolerance um it's on uh prime amazon prime video um, and it is going to tie in what you just mentioned that um, we just haven't, I believe, through what they had in their conversation is that we haven't grown enough on the topic of what is Islam and its defining factors. 
what is it to be Muslim and its defining factors. Um, I think what you just said there is beautiful in that, that what they discovered, it took them a decade to discover that you have to define how people see and perceive what is the language and what is the naming of it in order to fully see the color inside of that. And I think we've not grown as humans to like not get past what one person says on media of what this means. And then what these guys did, it went through a lot of pain and anguish, personal relationships. And you can just imagine um, someone who's a reformer based upon their previous thoughts of something in belief. Um, I would ask people to go to that because you'll see a very stark, painful um, expression, but also on the other side, see this beautiful rendition of what Islam, what Islamism means, means, truly means, because you, you're opening your eyes to how everyone experiences on a different level, you know, and now it fundamentally changes how you perceive that word, you know, um, and I think that's a beautiful example in today's day and age that people could go to. So I'll, I'll link in some, um, some notes to that. That's a really cool example. And I think that gets back to what you were saying earlier about, you know, asking, you know, can questions lead to concrete developments in the world? And yes, right. You know, asking that question about what is this? And then that broadening your horizons and then changing the way you interact with the world. Definitely. Definitely. Um, yeah. Paleontology has just gotten into that as well too, with like what's called wording on transition from water to land, you know, and trying to see these connecting pieces in RNA and DNA based upon that. But they're still saying like, you know, well, define a language, what you're talking about as to where all these things came from. And then secondarily, they are philosophizing on this, right? They don't have answers, but they're, they're certainly looking at trying to find some real clear answers to it through science. And that's the beautiful aspect of seeing the, the context really. So yeah, it's fantastic. The question that I've seen come up today, that's kind of a philosophical question, you know, obviously, again, as of the time of recording, we're doing this during the coronavirus. What is life? Is yeah. a virus alive? Yeah. Um, you know, things, things like that, again, are, are questions that um, obviously have a, a, a place in science, but they're deeply and profoundly philosophical as well. They're questions about the nature of, of the thing. Yeah, it's a, it's a sad uh, thing, too, because... I think for people collectively to come up with an answer to those questions that maybe not lead to answers, but you know, to really raise awareness, we don't have enough time. We don't have yeah. enough time to answer, to ask, like it's, it's, there's biological constraints to it. You know what I mean? Like we have to very quickly get to answering some of those questions. Right. Um, and I think with the current landscape, we got a lot of Netflix and we're afraid of uh, sitting down and thinking. Yeah. yeah. And, you know, that's where, you know, um, sometimes there's a time for philosophy and sometimes there's a time for, sometimes there's a time for action. And it's definitely finding the balance between those two, to be sure. Yeah, yeah for sure. Solid. So in terms of the um, fitness stuff, uh, James, I'm, I'm open to whatever way you want to proceed. I, I wrote down, I don't know, 10 or so questions that we could discuss on fitness, or we could just even start with one and go from there. Yeah, well, let's start. Yeah, let's start and move it. And then uh, I wanted to uh, I wanted to state a couple of things around it. So just make sure that we can we can come back and tie that in um, around uh, definition and etymology, around um, interpretation, um, around um, you know I guess the, the the morality conversation, what re what really matters, and 
all the hard questions on origin and meaning, morality and hope and how they may tie into, you know, sneaking fitness into that conversation. And then maybe leading to um, some form of a definition that we could actually, you and I could like start with and play with and then refine over time, maybe as a process for the entire uh, podcast. I think that'd be really cool. Okay. Um, so I think, you know, tying into that, and this could actually launch us off on exactly what you said, you know, the first question I had under the defining fitness question is what type or kind of fitness are we talking about? Are we talking about biological, physical, mental, emotional, um, I'll throw it out there. Yeah, I'm not sure, but I, that's the what I was thinking about. I wrote down a couple of notes on, uh, I think asking questions on what are examples of how people define it today may actually get us to a point of, you know, what we're actually, if, you know, are we talking about it in a matter sense or a esoteric, you know, concept of sense? Yeah. Um, and I think, uh, um, you know, uh, I did this search way back before to kind of answer this question. And I did a real deep, you know, deep dive in this, I would say is probably for months on asking this question, what is fitness? Uh, Greg Glassman had inspired me to ask it myself. Um, and uh, which I'm in, in, you know, in depth to of him saying like, you got to ask that question, you know, he proposed an answer, but um, that's besides the point that uh, I, you know, just in me asking the question, I went on a deep dive on this, but, and the one, one I came to was being a, the ability to perform a task um, starts people off on a on some form of an idea of a definition, the ability to perform a task. Um, and if you look at the, the, the simplicity inside of that, um, it can drive up some, you know, some larger answers. Um, obviously, Greg's uh, perspective uh, was probably through a physiological lens. And excuse me if I bastardize it, but um, considering work and the ability to do work throughout all different kinds of atmospheres of time and modalities um, was a concept of fitness that I believe he would say, you know, uh, not I think he would say that's unfair, but he in, unintentionally or intentionally moved into the market, right, to, to question that. Um, and then to your point, I think we cannot look without a base support of uh, reproduction and evolution uh, consequences of your capabilities in fitness, i.e., you know, if you speak to a biological uh, or evolutionary biologist, they only have one definition of fitness, right? And, and that's basically uh, cells working together, either intentionally or unintentionally, to keep this thing moving, right? And, and tying in natural selection and whatever happens in DNA jumping to get us to that point. Um, and uh, yeah, I'll stop there. But I think it, I, use, I use multiple different areas of what people are saying is defined as fitness to come up with, I think, your answer of what are we actually talking about in what area? I'm not sure if that helps lead the conversation to somewhere. No, it definitely can. I mean, this is actually what Socrates and Plato did. Like when they would ask what is justice, they would look to kind of these concrete examples and then try to extract something okay. uh, out of it. And I mean, I, yeah, I think it's really interesting. I mean, on the one hand, you do have kind of the biological definition, like we were talking about, survive and reproduce. Mm -hmm. um, but a whole slew of what we define as fitness today, or what we consider fitness, has very little of anything yeah. to, to do with that. And But I mean, that, that, that brings up an interesting question, too. Is it just this? Is it, is it just the yeah. biological? I think that's a piece of the puzzle, but is that all of it? Is, is yeah. that the 
Yeah, and I, that's why I, you may have heard me before, and I'll speak to our audience about it. And, you know, tell me really if, uh, if I should probably choose a different angle to go about it. But that's just the way I do it, because I'm trying to teach coaches about it. But I generally use a, a time and space concept to get people to understand that the definition of it as the word in your point of survival and reproduction has changed since the beginning, right? Sure. And that, that allows a great base of support to say that, well, if it's possible that it did actually mean something, right, then can we hang on to that? And my argument is that it is embedded inside of us, whether we like it or not. And I could probably take a couple hours really to get the pile on research that connects biological systems to survival and reproduction to let you know that there are organs that work together. Like, so you don't have to look too far from polyvagal theory and, uh, and uh, motor learning and et cetera to go, well, it, we seemingly do have these things in place that we are, are put together for in order to survive and reproduce. But it's so hard for us to stretch our brain to get there because currently to today, we can't connect that biological definition to what we actually do in practice, <laughs> you know, to live today. You know, it's like we, so that's the point I always ask people. And out of a coach, out of a hundred coaches, there's two that kind of get it. But <laughs> and I'm laughing because I can see their faces when I ask it because I'm the person up here and I'm like, you know what? You really don't need to exercise <laughs> to survive and reproduce. And people are like, what? What? But but I'm asking that question just to like uh, make people dig a little deeper for that that long term question of like at one point it did matter and now it doesn't and now we have this. I'm arguing it's a moral dilemma. It's like, how do you wrap intentions around people doing physical challenges that are actually not connected really superiorly hard to an improvement in survival and reproduction? Yeah, not only that, but, you know, as, as you've said, and, you know, we've discussed, like, can actually go in the opposite direction. Yes, actually, there's a sweet spot. There's a sweet spot, which is why... You know, I like to I like to land, which we're not landing there, but I like to land on fitness wrapped around the word of experience, not experience as in competency or capability, you know, assessment, but of a journey and practice, right? So when you land at that, it allows a little bit more of a, I think, like a, a jump off point to to ask more questions around fitness, uh, fitness being a journey of physical challenges, you know. That's just beyond your capability. Um, and why do we do it? Because we can, not because we need to. And that's what I think the, the biggest difference is. Um, and why it, of course, there's discourse on uh, performance. And, you know, it's like, it's, it's so uh, loud in my perspective and drowned out. The whole conversation has been there. Uh, back, that's why I asked you that question previously, Robbie, on the springboarding, right? It, it's, we springboarded 20 years ago that I think is so deep. It's almost tough to get a place. Anyways, I'm getting, I'm getting pessimistic in the concept of changing people's perspectives on fitness language, but um, I'll stop there. Any thoughts on, uh, on that? Yeah, no, I mean, I think, I think that's all super interesting. I mean, I think that also ties into yet another way you could conceive of philosophy that I think is really worthwhile. So one of the tasks of philosophy is in every era, what is science or what is religion or what is um, truth, you know, or what is real comes to be challenged in different ways. Like we are dealing with a whole set of different questions 
with regard to reality and social interaction and all these different things than people were 2,000 years ago or 10,000 years ago. Mm -hmm. So one of the projects of philosophy is to try and make sense of that concept, whatever that concept is, justice, truth, reality within that new framework. And just like you were saying with regard to fitness, we are now in a very new uncharted territory. For all of human history, we needed to move. Mm -hmm. We're doing bicep curls and cleans and all the rest of that stuff. Um, But now we are in a place where we don't move and fitness is more of a, I mean, you need some of it, of course, to be biologically fit in the sense of be able to survive and reproduce. There are people who don't have that and still can, but for the most part, I think we can agree there's some basic level, right? Yes. Um, But that being said, you don't need as you know, you don't need the standard stuff out there that kind of of, uh, goes by the name fitness. So the question becomes, how do we reinterpret this for this new generation? Just going back to exactly what you said, fitness is no longer this thing we have to do. It's this thing that we can do and maybe can become better as people by going through these physical challenges, increasing our mental acuity, increasing our resilience, things like that. Yeah, I think uh, you made me just think about it in a different way, and I appreciate that for uh, going forward. And I like asking that question, so I appreciate that. Um, is that somehow we have to continue to have tough conversations, both you and I, and then bleed it out as far as possible uh, to really get people to be uh, to wake up to asking the question of this uh, this dyadic tension between where we are today. I think it's between mind and body and the importance that we place on each one. That's the way I would see it as, as uh, saying like, um, you know, and then saying, you know, with time spent on the body, you know, even t- I would say on a general consensus, it's very, very low. So you were being very kind in saying that like, there's some form of things you need to do. It's, it's actually so low. I would argue I'm biased in that. Um, I think we should ask the tough question. I'm looking maybe for your, feedback of if I'm, if I should approach it in that direction, or if you even have some ideas on it of saying, how about we think about physical challenges for the body that have seemingly been lost over the past 200 years. Right. Uh, but really now we're in a, we're in a deeply cognitive state, uh, largely due to a, a mind state, let's say, we'll just name it over here, but the mind state largely due to the fact that we don't have to do this anymore. Right. But, I would say that the, the communication and, and everything that leads inside how people live today, just look at you and me right now, you know, we're thousands of miles apart, but we're having, you know, a conversation that's really just some of our senses of seeing and listening, you know, um, and, but it's, re- it's superior, superior cognitive function. And we just wrap so much of that around our day today. Is that, is that, a, is that a starting point you believe that we, we have to have real tough conversations to see where the body fits into the whole thing. And then we can just start, cause I think it's, I won't be alive long enough to see people provide, you know, um, uh, academic support that says, if you do some challenges to the body, <laughs> you know, over time, you can make better apps, <laughs> you know, and, and do things that is like cognitively unbelievable, you know? Um, but I don't think uh, I don't think that connection's there. Thoughts on that? Yeah, I mean, I I think that's super interesting. I mean, I think one of the things I've you know uh, learned from just you know listening to you is you know 
I mean, I think it was something that I had thought of before in terms of it being important, but you really drove it home is, you know, typically when you think of fitness, you think of, you know, uh, improving this physical marker, that physical marker, what have you, speed, agility, strength. What about mental acuity, right? What about your ability to think and ask questions and solve problems and, and um, you know, uh, be resilient and overcome challenges? So I, I definitely think that's an interesting question and connection. Um, I also think, you know, again, going back to another discipline within philosophy, philosophy of mind, um, tons of questions around how does the mind relate to the body? Um, and that may be coextensive with the brain. It may not. Mm -hmm. That's mm -hmm. an interesting question too. Yeah. Um, so, and how does the body influence the mind and how does mm -hmm. the mind, um, influence the body? So yeah, I, I definitely think those are, um, you know, very interesting questions that we should. Yeah, cool. Well, uh, we'll, we'll wrap deeper into that uh, over time. I would continue to ask people to keep asking that question. So maybe that's just a, a send out that we're doing to everyone to, to kind of just uh, drum up for today, not today, but in future forward is to keep asking that question as to, you know, where, where does that sit in? And don't be afraid to ask questions like mind before body, body before mind and how they work together, you know, and uh, being inclusive of both of them in importance. Um, and to just, um, tag the concept again so people don't forget uh, of the importance of what my belief would be in focusing on mental acuity and great cognitive function and, and uh, setting people up for a future where they think really clearly, really clearly. And the reason why, the reason why they get to that clarity um, is because they've, they've created this space of being able to be clear-minded because they challenged their body. That's, that's what we have to we have to somehow align intentions around that over time where people are doing physical challenges because they can, although knowingly, and this maybe is a springboard to some other area, it's a diversion. Um, it's a social diversion and it's, it could be considered folly, but we have to tie into the intentions being good and wholesome around getting to mental acuity. And I think that may, that may tie in some good intentions. I think so. And I, one thing that when you were mentioning that before that it, it kind of made me think of that I think is a really good philosophical question to ask is, you know, so you're saying I won't, I won't be alive to see the published peer reviewed studies about, you know, you know, like you've said, most of these things are six weeks long and they're solely focused on performance. So an interesting philosophical question to me is, does that mean we can't say anything about them? You know what I mean? Like we, if we don't, in the absence of published peer reviewed evidence, we just, you know, if that's not coming along for 80 years, we can't say anything about them. I don't, I, to me personally, I don't think the answer to that is, uh, oh. I, I think we definitely can say things about Yeah, that. I agree. Absolutely. I agree for sure. Yeah. I was trying to think of, uh, the market's perception on truths, you know, like, um, yeah, it just seems to be, <clears throat> it seems to be, I'll just stop there after that, but it seems to be that way in, uh, uh, the fitness market. Cause I've probably been in it so long, like to see, like, as I use the funny example of seeing the five versions of ketosis. <laughs> Since like the middle of nineties is like, it's just wrapped up differently every five years. Right. Um, like breathing and like core conditioning and they, we just wrap them up differently. And that's why, you know, I'm a little bit more pessimistic in, in the, uh, the answers, but I listen, I'm, I'm definitely on board to keep, keep questioning it. There's no doubt. Yeah. Um, I got a question for you uh, on what you do with the, the dilemma of a word meaning so many different things. 
Um, and is it a, is there room for play in there? Although it'd be exhausting and long to completely change the language um, because it has so many definitions or should we like define it unto what we believe it should be and then just hang on to that puppy forever and ever um, and go with it. Am I making sense of that? Like, you know, for, um, I'll, I'll get uncomfortable with it because it's a word that, you know, just may spark people to get a little uh, pissed because I'm, I'm bringing it up. But uh, the word F-A-G, um, you know, in Canada and in Northern uh, uh, Europe, uh, or just anyways, in what we talked about it made fun of in uh, a conference I was at in uh, Wales, uh, was a, a, a cigarette that was basically just finished and the context of the language over here and how you used it 30 years ago was seemingly very incorrect and now you know it's just super inappropriate but the word still exists my whole point on that is that there's really only two maybe a third way you could use that word you know what i'm saying um let's say the word f-u-c-k we won't say it but that now is used you know, 65 different ways. Um, and fitness has so many versions of what that means. Um, and we, you and you and I both know it gets just elaborated in multiple different ways and used to your point of just incorrect language. And I'm, I'm asking you the question of your thoughts on, you know, defining it as one thing like you eloquently did through your definition of philosophy, actually. It sounded like three definitions of way to approach, but we got to an answer. I was wondering if uh, if we should do that for fitness or if we should call it like, uh, um, I don't know, blanket or something. I don't know. Because <laughs> blanket only has one definition right now. So you can use some different words anyways. Uh, your thoughts on that? Uh, just, yeah. So, I mean, I have a number of different thoughts there. I think that's an okay. excellent question. I mean, that's actually what philosophers will do just from a funny aside. They'll make up words like grew you know, green and blue, like they'll just make up weird words like, oh, you were talking about free world, we're going to talk about, you know, uh, you know, Shmeetum or something. Like, they'll make up these ridiculous words to try uh -huh. to, uh -huh. you know, distinguish different things, but uh, I digress. So yeah. yeah, a few things to say there in terms of how we should go about it. So distinction between the descriptive project and the prescriptive project. So the descriptive project would be you and I would just literally chart out and like, what are the ways in which the word fitness is used? And we're not looking for like every possible way because there are some silly ways, of course, that just, you know, someone just has no idea what they're talking about. We would, we would try to find the best and most, you know, um, useful ways of looking at it. And then we would just have different senses that we could list of fitness and, you know, is it uh, work capacity over broad time and broad times and model domains? Is it, you know, this, that, or the other thing? That's the descriptive project. I think going through the descriptive project gives you insight into the prescriptive project, which is what should fitness be? How should we be talking about fitness? Not just what, how is it talked about, mm -hmm. but how should it be talked about? Um, so I do think we, you know, both of those could be done to help us get a better sense. I also think going back to our question before, what we talk about now with regard to fitness isn't going to be true. There, there'll be some elements that maybe we'll hold on a hundred years from now, mm -hmm. but this is going to change over time. Yes. Yes. Um, and then the last thing I would say there, which was uh, something I thought it would be useful for us to discuss that's related to this in philosophy, 
there's, you know, this question between, um, you know, take something like knowledge. Is knowledge just one thing? Justified true belief that, you know, every piece of knowledge has those three things. It's justified, it's true, and it's belief. Or is it more of a family resemblance concept where, you know, in a family, not every member of a particular family shares the same eyebrows or the same hairline or the same eyes, but some mm. of them have the same eyebrows and some have the same hair. So with fitness, is fitness more like the first one where every instance of fitness has this universal thing that applies to it? Or is it more like family resemblance where, oh yeah, this thing's fit and it's got some stuff that this other thing of fitness has, but not some of the others. Mm. So I'd say that that's a relevant question here too. Yeah, really helpful. That's really helpful. Um, so it sounds to me, I don't know if it's a plan of action for us or if it indirectly was, is to get uh, clear on the descriptive aspect of that. Yeah, I think that just as a place to start would be, you know, thinking about what are, what are some senses of fitness that we both think are out there, we just list them out and then we could do the evaluative or normative project of, well, does that make sense? Is that right? Yeah, yeah. Well, I, within, without that being a question, I think it's, uh, I liked your, the last point on time. Um, cause, cause 2020, we have to think that, you know, a 12 year old and a 39 year old and a 65 year old today sees that word stark with stark difference, you know, like really, really broad differences in that, uh, defining aspect of, of fitness. Um, so, um, 2020, um, compared to 1982, you know, the, the definition of fitness in that language in 1982 stark difference, you know, as to, as to what it is today. So um, I, I would use that as a, as a starting point for us uh, recognizing and being okay with the fact that it probably will change over time, but we can't let go of like, what is, what is currently happening today as to why people perceive that. Um, as an example, um, you know, a lot of people perceive it as a practice that is, is a fix for a specific kind of lifestyle behavior. Um, some people some people see it as a, as a practice of uh, suffering so that they can numb something, right? Uh, some people see it as um, leisure activity uh, because it's like a civil, uh, it's, like a, um, it's like a socially uh, architect, ar architecture, it's social architecture. It's like, that's just, this is what people do. You know, it's like, why are we doing fitness, mom? It's like, I don't know, son, that's just what people do. You know, it's a, uh, I think so we need to recognize that today um, that's really the perspective of it and that allow us to like weed out stuff, I believe. Yeah, I agree. And I think, I mean, I think those are a number of very relevant senses of fitness. I mean, there's the uh, one that you and I have been exposed to a number of times, which is the, the person who is most adept at uh, Olympic lifting and powerlifting and gymnastics. And that's one definition, definition of fitness. We can yes. you know, say whether we can, we can then go on to say, is that a good definition or not good definition? But that is one definition out there today that didn't yeah. used to exist. Yeah, yeah, that's where, well, um, I, like, I like that too. And I, I uh, because I've been in the athlete realm, I could see some beautiful aspects of, of fitness away from absolutes, right? Absolute scores of what potential is. But I see things inside of uh, the competitive fitness atmosphere that I believe lends a new uh, definition and eye to it. And what I mean is that probably actually there's probably sport coaches that have seen in other sports before, but specifically inside of like trying to be the best exerciser in the world, there's a lot you can get inside of that. And my point being that 
And to, to piggyback on what you just said there, which is really key that people can understand for their own definition of fitness, it quite possibly be some form of an assessment as to how you respond to certain stressors, right? It, it, because it, that's what actually happens in the, in the landscape of combining weightlifting, gymnastics, monostructural activities. The whole aspect of that is to say, so how are you going to deal with this? Because you can't plan this out, right? So the whole unknown things could happen. I'm not saying that's the reason to do the unknown things, right? What you get as outcomes from doing variations, perturbations in any system results in people becoming self-evident aware of how fit they are because they can't deal with the the shit that's inside of that variation if i'm making sense right yeah so that's the beautiful aspect i think of what i call the participation and the practice and the journey it's going to continually give you feedback to give you an idea as to how fit you really are not in absolutes like not your fran time fit right but like how did you deal with that physically and cognitively right you were dealt a task that based upon how, you know, how you're doing it. So um, thank you for that. I don't know if you got anything to add to it, but I appreciate the looking at it in that lens also. No, and thank, and thank you. I mean, that just you even saying that made me think of, you know, one of the things that philosophy sometimes does is it asks like for a particular concept, say fitness, what's conceptually contained within that? What are, what are some aspects to that? And just as you were talking things, I was thinking of that, I think apply to lots of different definitions of fitness are things like readiness, resiliency and you know obviously we we go into a big discussion about we don't necessarily mean readiness for anything anywhere like jumping out of a plane but just ability to deal with stuff that life throws at you perhaps you know basic stuff that we all have to deal with SARS COVID exactly I mean how apparently obvious is that in importance right now I mean you you said at at an ontological question level about life and living but uh, you know what does that mean now you know, I'm not asking you the question, but I want everyone to ask that question. You know, it's a really hard one to ask right now. It seems like timely, it's inappropriate, but it's a, it's a reality. You know, you have to ask that. Like I, I made a Facebook post on it and I put it in words that may not be understood, but um, if you can't take a hit, um, you need to learn from that, right? You don't complain about taking the hit, you know? So you have to, you have to say to yourself, you know, if I have economic issues right now, if I do have a lowered immune system right now, if I do have a lack of resilience cognitively to the overarching stress in society, et cetera, that is also a test of how resilient you are, right? As sad as it is, you know, I know people will lose their lives and I know we'll have loved ones that will suffer through this tremendously, but we still have to ask those questions. Um, which I'm, I have, I do have hope that on the other side, at least some brains and, uh, some minds will, uh, will get to that, but, uh, it's, it's, it's apparently obvious right now. Yeah. And I mean, you know, even, you know, we were talking about how fitness has changed from 1920 to 2020. I mean, even with all the advancements we've made in technology and medicine and stuff like this, there, there are these fun, you know, t- going back to what we were talking about, there are these fundamental things that all, all humans need to deal with. Um, you know, most of us didn't think we would see a pandemic of this level in our lifetime, but lots of different pandemics have happened throughout 
human history. There are, there are all sorts of things, whether it's having kids or suffering the loss of a loved one that relate to emotional fitness, but they're, you know, physical fitness um, related to, you know, catching a cold and being able to survive it and things like that. I think that um, all humans in one way or another have to um, deal with whether they like it or not. And the notion of fitness or readiness or resiliency to that test is, is relevant. Yeah. Just to, just to go back, that's what I was tying in there, by the way, is that your, your concept of readiness um, is not only uh, <clears throat> an absolute score, like a HRV score, it's like uh, it, 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 gives you, it gives you information right now for the possible future issues. That's what readiness means. That's what people sometimes lose sight of is that you don't only get a green score. It's saying like, this is an indication of what it's going to be like when you got to deal with worse shit, right? So that, that's, what re- that's the more important aspect um, of readiness. Um, also, I, I don't know if you feel that is appropriate for timing as well as, uh, within our conversation, but, um, where does the fittest, uh, fit into that, uh, uh arrangement of a definition and, uh, and philosophy, the absolute, yeah. the absolute of, you know, this, this is where people's brains could go. It's just, you know, I'll, I'll lead it so you can softball hit that one. Um, you know, uh, you could ask around uh, reason for even defining the fittest, right? Um, you could ask around, well, how, wh- what's the context of, or to your point, describing, you know, how you come to an agreement of fittest. Um, you could say, well, what do you get from being the fittest? Um, you know, uh, is there reason to align all humans to decide upon who's the fittest? Uh, the fittest for what? Um, these are all questions that I think uh, um, I'm not sure if you would ask as well, but do you think there's a place for that? Yeah, I, I do. And um, I think. In yeah. defining fitness, meaning, you know. Yeah, I mean, there are lots. I mean, going back to the idea of philosophy, just asking questions. I mean, I have, I have more questions that are kind of coming up right now as we're discussing that. So, one question you can always ask when you have a predicate like this or you have a, you know, uh, something that you would describe to someone is, is this something that admits of degrees? Does it admit of a maximal potential value? Or is it kind of an infinite continuum? Uh, one question that I had written down that we you know, could discuss that's related to this is, is fitness a property or is it a relation? Mm-hmm. You know, so property being something like being human or being red or being 200 pounds. Um, a relation would be being a son or being smaller than or being younger than. So if Fitness is a relation. I don't know that there's any maximal value that applies out of any, outside of any given place and time, yep. right? Or set of people. I'd agree. Um, so that's an interesting question to ask there in terms of you know what does it mean to be fittest? Yes. Yeah. I. I. And I. Um, I'm sure others have heard it before, and maybe we can go back and forth on that. But I, I love the idea of of uh, taking some time to think about what you know, what, uh, this utopic idea is, is everyone's understanding that we all have our own relative physical potential that, that needs to be challenged. That's the thing. Like, I don't, I don't believe, I don't think that a lot of people are aware in the current landscape that we all have a relative highest James Fitzgerald physical fitness potential. We all have that that which I believe by me searching for that, the sweet spot of it, this relative potential, it will draw up great thoughts 
and superior cognitive function compared to the James Fitzgerald in a separate string theory universe that does no physical challenges and just goes like this and has a cognitive value associated with that person. Right. Yeah, that's getting into a total, uh, another super interesting realm of philosophy, you know, counterfactuals and like, you know, James one and James two. And, you know, if James one does fitness, a lot more mentally, yeah. if James two. Yeah, I didn't mean to, I didn't mean to move it into uh, uh, the, the zombie uh, Chalmers uh, rabbit hole. Uh, but I, I, you know, I, that's back to your point of, or I was just, I just, it always comes up and then you know why? Cause I, I did so much, you know, striving towards to be the fittest. Right. right? And I, and I, I'm fortunate enough to be in lanes, right. In a lane of like physical potential beyond what I should have been doing. That leads to a increased speed of aging. Now that's a fact that's, that's not, so we're, we're past the point where it's like, well, is there a sweet spot really? Yes. <laughs> yes, there, it's fact. And it, we, we can, of course, dissect that one. But, but then I've also been in the lane of like, wow, consistency and just really staying really close to what I can potentially do every day for the rest of my life. There's something powerful inside that as well that is probably leading to a better aging process, you know? And so that's why fittest, probably if we were to change our language, it should only apply to each individual, should being the, the word that we can massage. Right, right. And I mean, you know, going back to that, you know, when, when we have that discussion about property or relation and we say, maybe we're saying it's a relation now. Yeah. You know, initially someone might say, well, it's a relation with respect to other individuals in a particular place in time. I take it what you are saying right now is you might even index it to the person. You might yeah. just say that, that I am the fittest I can be, but that the word fittest may or may not make sense outside of that individual context. You might yes. Index it to the person. Yeah. And that's, and this is where I think, again, the sport world has really killed the definition of fitness because the sport world is all about absolutes, right? It's, it's about an absolute, you know, world record 100 meter time. And how good you are as a human <laughs> is connected to how fast your 100 meter time is. You know what I mean? It's like, wow, you know that. So how fit, how fit, I bet you can only bench 250 pounds. You know, it's like, what? How did, how did, and, but listen, I, I preached that, you know, 20 years ago. I was like, oh man, this is, you know, you definitely have to have this actual stress potential and these levels of absolutes that would define how fit you are. Right. And because they're tied into my history and people still me on people's brains as to how it's sold today, you know, that, uh, this, uh, you know, signaling that you really can, can be an athlete, right. That's how it all ties in because it, it has to do with this absolute potential hero story hierarchy and what is the fittest and everyone search for that. Right. Because it's hard to sell this whole, seemingly uh, loose direction of just be all you can be, <laughs> you know, <laughs> it sounds so cliche and, and mundane, but it is right. We need, we need people out there as coaches who are striving to wake people up to that, that we need you to be the best you can possibly be um, within these biological constraints of maximal physical potential. Yeah. And I mean, just as you were 
talking, I think one of the things that made me think of that maybe is leading to the confusion in terms of people thinking about fitness is when we think about concepts that are related, so strongest, um, you know, fastest, uh, most enduring, right? Those are things that, you know, correct me if you, if you disagree, but I feel like we could objectively define in any given time. Like we could say, I don't know, Eddie Hall is the strongest deadlifter in virtue of doing 500 kilos. So those are things that admit of maximal, like objective, we can say this person ran this the fastest and therefore, but with fitness, I think we applied those concepts that are related and connected with fitness, but fitness is, is something different that doesn't admit of that maximal potential the same way those do. And you tend to pull on other parts of fitness, like ability to survive and reproduce and live long and good life mm -hmm. that don't exist in being, you know, the strongest or the yes. fastest, if that makes yes. sense. Yes. I love that. And, uh, I, I'm not afraid of the conversation either of crowning the conversation of crowning the fittest and fittest on earth and, and participation that I've had in comp competitive events like that, where, you know, it is very, it's, it's very hard to, uh, even if in 2008, I would have been like, e you know, itchy on someone who was like, well, really, James, you're only the fittest CrossFitter amongst like 60 people in California in a test, right? And I was like, ooh, you know, that, that hurts, right? But uh, I, I, I stuck with it, you know, I stuck with it and said, now, why does it hurt? As opposed to, um, you know, you know why, do, why do I just have to try to browbeat them to make them realize I really am the fittest on the planet, you know? Um, and it, and it, that pain that I went through and anguish, which led to me almost killing myself in 2009 through the practice of trying to be the fittest, when I had no business being there to try to attempt that, um, I think that, you know, like, uh, um, you know, others have gone off on a journey for four weeks of, of silence in order to rebirth. That was a good rebirth for me to realize that um, I wasn't the fittest. Um, and, uh, and I think that it's unfortunate our sport or the sport has, has pulled that language into the conversation of their sport. And I think that's why it leads us here with these really tough questions, is they pulled in a concept of living and physical expression, and then you see an absolute score and attempt towards the fittest, and you can't stop looking at it going, ah, I'm not sure. I'm not sure if that, if these are really the role models of like what living is, you know, what physical potential is. Um, and I think that's, it's an unfortunate, un unfortunate circumstance that they've, uh, that I say they meaning the the sport of fitness and the world of the testing absolutes um has ramshackled if that's a word they've taken that word and put it inside um and it's it is what it is so we got to deal with it we gotta we gotta figure it out <laughs> yeah no i agree i mean i i think i think there was a lot of um you know initial good and i mean i think in a lot of ways you know greg's article is a philosophy article. It's basically saying like, you thought fitness was enduring the most. Yep. Well, guess what? There are these other concepts contained within that. So I think that part was good, but I think very much to your point, you know, there was this, uh, you know, science can be good, but science can't always define and make objective metrics out of everything. Like you can't make objective metrics out of love. And you know what I mean? There's yeah. some things that don't always admit of objective metrics like, Oh, yeah. you know, does fitness admit of objective metrics? So we try to define it as work capacity. Yeah. 
And that's a cool and interesting idea, but is that the only thing? No, but it certainly is better than a generalized term of then fitness. So you can, you can apply the same questions that, you know, Greg applied to, you know, what was it? Outsider magazine. I forget. The yes. Magazine. Yeah. Oh, Outsider yes. Magazine. Yep. Um, but you can, you know, just like all philosophers do philosophers come after other philosophers to ask questions. So we can ask those same questions about yep. is work capacity over broad time and mobile domains, the only way to think of fitness and yep. is one, you know, this is a tongue in cheek question, but are the only people who have ever been fit in history are, you know, from you to Rich Froning and, you know, Matt Frazier, right? I mean, yep. we, we know that, you know, there, there are other concepts of fitness that go beyond just the winner of the CrossFit Game. Yeah. And how do we know in 1935, someone didn't do 235 burpees in 70 minutes in seven minutes somewhere? Right. You know what I mean? Like just because it wasn't amongst the 150,000 people online in 2011, that doesn't make it, you know what I'm saying? That's where my brain goes there all the time. And I, I've been out in the sporting world enough to see that we are really just a little small pie amongst mutants really in terms of how we're defining that. And I can't turn my back on that. You know, I, I cannot not see that. Right. I saw uh, like high level bobsledders and trained with them for numerous years. You know, it, like it just seeing, well, what's your definition of power and strength? It's right. You see these people move lots of reds round during the day and there's like, Oh, do you want me to do that? Okay. And you're like, wow. You know, and you come into your little bubble of like, well, we're strong and this is strength. And this is the expression of strength that I'm the fittest. <laughs> you know, I'm like, I can't not, unsee that you know in terms of like what defining is over there of those specific characteristics i think where there is some language that does need clarity and greg proposed which is great it's the balancing aspect of all of them again my point is it allows us to derive a definition of i would believe who's most resilient in the balancing of all these things in multiple different varieties i think that that leads to a probably a generalized but a better direction and away from absolutes uh, last point on that, too, is that only at this point in time, maybe so many years later, um, actually, actually, no, it, it's been more appropriately viewed to me this year later. Um, and it, it really was a uh, I'm not, I'm, I'm not going to hesitate to call it anything other than a Bible. But the original writings of the journal, um, whether it was intentionally done or not, was perfect execution of timing and perfect language at a time where that conversation was really important. Right. But this is the issue that we get also with the word of God and, and other scriptures is interpretation of what was meant by said language, right? So it almost turns into what uh, Sam Harris calls the whisper game over time, right? It's like, this is what was said in the journal. And then, and then the perspective of that over a line of 12 people in 20 years gets totally misconstrued, but you can't turn back on it. You know, you, right. you can't turn the wheel back, right? So, um, yeah, just, I would just offer those things so people could recognize that it's, again, the language and the context in which you use it and, and uh, how it's going to apply to you specifically that's really important. Yeah, absolutely. And don't forget the original spirit and intention of the article. Yeah. Questioning, yeah. you know exactly. I mean? So like, it's a then, question mark. Right. right? That, and it can go back on those very things that have become dogmatic and calcified over the past 20 years. We can use it the same way it was originally used to help break out of that monolithic conception. We can now use that same spirit again to reconceptualize what we think of and, and make some more useful ideas. Redefine. Around. Redefine. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. I feel, uh, 
yeah, I've, uh, I've matured. I feel hopeful <laughs> that that can be done. Um, so I, I appreciate, uh, I appreciate that. Yeah. I, I mean, I, yeah, I definitely in my own fitness journey, many things I thought were, were true that <laughs> have uh, gone my way inside, but that, you know, that's part of what makes it interesting and fun. Yeah, for sure. Curious, so. for sure. Um, I don't know about you, but, uh, that may be a good, uh, a good point of, uh, a reflection on what kind of things we discussed today and a little wrap-up scenario. What do you think? I, th I think so. I think we're going to have lots to discuss and that, that was a good, very good discussion. I enjoyed that. Okay. So uh, let me, let me refine what we discussed here um, is uh, really this, you know, block block concept of understanding, you know, who you and I are and then uh, philosophy. Um, and then we move that into how it pertains to, you know, understanding the, the, ideas inside of that defining piece as to how it connects to fitness and then inside of our language around fitness uh we had to derive a starting point really uh um and as beautiful as it is a self-reflection on philosophy itself we didn't have answers we're not looking for them but we're certainly asking where people should go on their thought process of their definition of that um and i think uh with your contributions um, to that framework, I think it, it got us to a point as of this uh, second that uh, is a good start. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Any uh, anything further to add uh, that uh, people can take home with it, whether it be a reflection or also um, uh, references uh, or things that people can start on uh, that can um, could build this for them? Because we are going to I'll tag all the things that we talked about or, or kind of keep in hand and, and post. Of all the things I mentioned, so you don't have to worry about that. Uh, but uh, I don't know anything you can add. To finish. Yeah, I mean, so I guess a couple of thoughts. One would be, you know, again, as you alluded to, sometimes one of the things people get frustrated with with philosophy is some people really enjoy it. I enjoy it, but uh, some people get frustrated with the idea of just asking questions without resolving yeah. things. But a metaphor that might help here is like imagine you just came upon like a you know, amazing archaeological find. It's like all dusty and you're trying to figure out like what the hell is going on. Part of what we're trying to do and I think what we'll get to is like as we ask these these questions, we'll be able to more concretely define like what's even going on here? Like lay out those definitions of fitness, evaluate them. So right now we're just starting that project. So if you started listening to this expecting <laughs> definition, sorry we didn't provide that, but we'll we'll get closer as time goes on. But it's kind of one of these things where we're surveying the land right now and figuring out what's the landscape and then we can evaluate things. Um, Excellent. We can definitely provide more resources. One I'll just mention that's free and probably one of the best ones out there for people to uh, reference is the Stanford Encyclopedia of Philosophy that's online, that's free, written, and very well edited. Uh, probably one of the best resources out there for philosophy. So, Super. That's really helpful. Um, I, I, remember flicking through that a while back uh from a uh I forget what the podcast was i was listening to um oh sean carroll um and he had uh someone on there he's a he's a nuclear physicist or astrophysicist i believe and uh he asks all the hard questions and so it's kind of philosophy and ties that together it's really good um anyways he mentioned to go there as well so thanks for that again robbie i really appreciate it and yeah. uh thank you for uh, where you sit in this to offer that tree of support of making sure we stay the straight and narrow and uh, also uh, educating everyone on uh, some of the great aspects of philosophy as to how it fits into fitness. So thanks again. Yeah. And thank you. I mean, this is 
been a topic I've really wanted to discuss with someone for a long time and I'm excited to do it. So super. We're gonna do more of it. Awesome.